this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode. Thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us. <laughs> Strange emphasis. Make the <laughs> next episode <Emphasis>. happen. <laughs> emphasis. Uh, I, I did start drinking wine already. Uh, make the next episode happen by joining us at digmeoutunion.com or, dig me, or dmounion.com. We've just had, Jay, this, this uh, weekend... It's been uh-huh. great. We've had three new fork, forks. Three new forks. Join join us, folks. Three new folks. I'm gonna put the wine down. Uh, join us uh, at the two dollar level. Two dollar level. Sean Brown, Blake, and P. Guterres. Welcome all of our new patrons. We're uh, happy Very to have cool. you. Look forward to you commenting on our episodes and our polls and our various posts that go up, including uh, soon we'll have a new 80s episode that'll be going up. And if you don't know, uh, you should check us out because we do 80s episodes as well every other month. And we might even throw in a bonus 80s episode because uh, we're we're just sitting at home like everyone else. So we have time to listen to... uh, some uh duran duran or or um whatever probably not duran duran unless somebody suggests it i don't think anybody's put that in the hopper yet uh i think you're right so if you join us what's the what's the worst album from the late 80s that's probably the one we should review the worst album from the late '80s? Like, are you yeah. talking like a a Vanilla Ice record or no, 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 no. the Duran Duran? Like, what's the the you know the, the album in the later '80s before they came back in the '90s? That oh, was well, there's that one in like ignored. '89. I don't even remember the name of it. It's the one that has Big like thing? no, yeah, it has like no good singles on it. In terms, yeah, there's no like the Hungry one. Like the Wolf or or Notorious or anything like that. I mean, that's the one for us. Yes, that's the oddball that. <laughs> that's the panorama of uh, of their career, in comparison to uh, the cars. So this week we have one of our patrons on who comes on to talk about a record with us. He was here last year to talk about Powderfinger. This year he'll introduce the uh, record, but we're welcoming back Darren Svedson. From Canada, Toronto. Toronto, Canada, yeah. Thanks again for having me back, guys. Um, it's hard to believe it's been a year since I talk, spoke to you last. And I, this is my, my third kick of the can here. And the first time was uh, American Band with Marcy Playground's Shapeshifter. Then we went down under last year with Powderfinger's Odyssey Number no. 5. But I figured for my third time, it was time to... to pick someone from my home team of Canada and I, I went through your your vast catalog and you actually have covered a lot of Canadian bands that uh, you know I wouldn't expect to be known so much in the US uh, you know on the Tea Party Sloan I Mother Earth uh, but one band you have not covered is uh, the band we're talking about tonight called uh, Odds 
And the album we're going to be discussing is Good Weird Feeling from 1994. How did you discover Odds? Because I actually am aware of this band. I've listened to them. And I'm curious how you found them. So it's interesting when you live uh, in Canada, you may have heard of the term CanCon, which is Canadian content. So it was a law that was introduced, I think, in the early 70s, basically uh, to ensure that Canadian culture, uh, in particular with music, there was a certain percentage of music that needed to be qualified as Canadian to be played on on radio. Uh, I think if you look back, you know, late 60s, early 70s, if you wanted to make it big in the music industry as a Canadian, you had to go down to the U.S. So guess who, Neil Young, et cetera. Uh, so CanCon, I think, was a controversial decision at the time, and it was viewed as a crutch for a lot of, a lot of Canadians said, well, if you can't make it on your own merits uh, and you have to have forced play, really, are you good enough? And there's probably a lot of examples of bands that, that did get played both on the radio and uh, Much Music, which is our version of MTV, which also started in the mid-'80s. But I think by the 90s, Actually, the whole CanCon process really worked, and it did help engender a healthy music scene here. And that's where you saw the bands. I think it really came; it bore fruit in the early to mid '90s when you saw the rise of bands like like Our Lady Peace, I'm Mother Earth, The Tragically Hip, etc. And the Odds is, is, I think, one of those bands that benefited from that for sure. So they were, uh, I'd say, they were probably they were not A-list like the Hip here or, or Our Lady Peace, but they were a solid uh, B-level. Uh, group they did get a lot of play for a few singles on this album uh, but i don't know if they really made any any ripples in the u.s market okay so i think i saw them open for the hip at some point in the mid 90s because i've Mm -hmm. seen the hip like probably five or six times and i was at the live between us show in detroit the one that got turned into the live album and i I want to say the odds open that show. Um, yeah, because uh, they were they were touring probably uh, maybe not for this album, but it went because this was ninety four and that was ninety six, I believe, for that. So it might have been the next album, or maybe they worked. I don't know what the the. Um, I think they did the day for night tour for at least part of that. Yes. Um, well, they were also playing. Um, I want to say that uh, Trouble at the Hen House was out by that point. Because they play gift shop, uh, mm. I think to open that show. Okay. So, but I want I I know I saw the odds because I I put this record on and I immediately was like I know this band like I've heard these right. songs before. So Jay, let me ask you: Have you ever listened to Odds before this? Have not, and I don't know that I've even heard of them before. So, all new to me. All right. Well, do you do you want to get into the history at all with odds or or any of their uh, their backstory? History of the band. Uh, yeah, I mean, I to be honest, I don't know too too much about them. I mean, they. Um, I looked on their Wikipedia page as well, and interesting timing actually to give a plug to another podcast that's recently started. It's. Uh, called Raven Drool. It's uh, actually, it's just a guy who, who interviews artists, Canadian artists from the uh, the 90s. It just started a few months ago. And, and they actually just had Craig Northey, who was one of the, the principal songwriters of the band, 
he was on their latest episode. Um, so he actually had some good tidbits about how they got started and such. Uh, they actually tried to break, they moved down to LA before having a Canadian record deal and they tried to break the US market first uh, with limited success, obviously. Uh, but one interesting tidbit was they ended up being Warren Zevon's touring band, I believe, in 1990, 91. Um, he picked them. They were on the same label, and he was in that process when tours, uh, picking up and coming bands to tour with. And uh, he selected them. So that was an uh, interesting piece of trivia for them. Uh, they released Bedbugs in 1992, I believe, and that uh, had a bit of a novelty song on it called Heterosexual Man that... Uh, if you look up the video on YouTube, if you're a Kids in the Hall fan, it actually has three of the Kids in the Hall uh, performing in that video. And uh, by the time they released this album, I think this is probably their breakthrough album in terms of real radio airplay uh, outside of just, you know, alternative college rock. Uh, and after this album, they released another one called Nest in late 96, which uh, did quite well as well. And then they took a hiatus in 99 and... Uh, they came back, I believe, 10 years ago, and they're still a going concern right now as a touring band. Yes, and at one point, so the other members of the band besides Craig Northey are Stephen Drake on guitar, Doug Elliott on bass, and Paul Brennan on drums. That was the original lineup. And then yeah. Brennan left in 95 to play with Big Sugar and was replaced by Pat Stewart, who had been the drummer for Brian Adams. Yes. Uh, Keeping it in Brian Adams. Canadian family. Canadian royalty. Yes. Canadian royalty. Um, yeah, I think one of the interesting things for me about this band is the um, the shared songwriting of uh, Craig Northey and Stephen Drake. So we can talk about it a bit more later on, but they seem to roughly, at least in their peak, split the songwriting 50-50. And uh, it's interesting. I find their sounds complement well, each other well. But for me, I clearly have a strong preference for, at least on this album, for one of the songwriters. Interesting. I didn't pick up on, uh, maybe you did, Jay, but I did not pick up on two separate, like, styles. Yeah, I find their voices, too, are actually very similar. So it's even for me, it's hard sometimes to, unless you really concentrate, to figure out which, which one is singing. Gotcha. I do remember... Um, I believe that uh, Eat My Brain might have been the single that we played at WFAL in the 90s when this came out, because this would have been right around the time when um, I was, you know, like assistant music director or something. So I want to say that, like, I know Truth Untold was, and I don't know if it was an official single. It might have just been one that we picked. Yeah, so for this album, there's there's videos for, and so I singles for Truth Untold was the first one released in Canada. Uh, Eat My Brain was the second single, which was quite successful on modern rock here. And then there was a third single uh, called Satisfied. That's uh, And the first two were the Stephen Drake written songs, and the, the third and final was Craig Northey. Okay. And then... Uh... So this came out on WEA, uh, and we, well, in the in Canada, and then Sire in the U.S. 
Uh, WEA being, I think that's Warner. Is that Warner Electra? Or I think so. Yeah, Warner Electra Atlantic. It's yeah. that giant merger. <laughs> Wea. And um I don't have any chart info on this record, unfortunately. I well, know. I don't think it made any ripple in the US. I mean uh he, again here they really benefited from much music, a net, you know, similar to MTV in the US but on a smaller scale. But right. The, the, we much music can't be overstated for how it broke bands here in Canada. Bands like uh, Our Lady Peace, The Hip, Moist, Our Mother Earth, and uh, the odds were no exception. I don't know how, but I remember watching much music. Maybe because Bowling Green is so close, you know, it's only an hour from uh, Detroit, which obviously yeah. is right near to Windsor. So there must have been some sort of channel that picked it up. But I remember watching much music. And seeing like this alternate world of yeah. of Canadian music. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah. let's get into some comments over at the uh, at the Patreon page. Jeremy Amen said, "I've heard Bud- Bedbugs and Nest, but somehow never heard this album." Got to mention how hilariously divided up their catalog is on Apple Music, partially due to them losing their rights to the band name at some point. Much of this album sounds like it could be the soundtrack to So I Married an Axe Murderer if that movie didn't already have a soundtrack. That's a compliment at best and an observation opinion at worst. I'm not finished just listening yet, but I'm thinking this be, will be a worthy album for me. Um, and then he said, Leave It There is perennially a perennially, I can't say that word, topical song, isn't it? Yep, a worthy album. And then Richard Waterman said, new patron, Listen, listened on my iPod for a couple of days, and I really like this album. The next album, Nest, is good, too. The other albums I can do without, though, overall, it reminds me of about 10 other bands like Crowded House, Counting Crows, Summer Camp, Fountains of Wayne. There are some elements of power pop and straight pop with some decent harmonies and cool riffs and acoustic touches. Favorite track, Leave It There, Good Tracks, Truth Untold, Smokescreen, Break the Bed. And Jeremy followed up with, I felt like I was also hearing... A little Elvis Costello in there. Hmm. So those are our commenters over at Patreon for this. And I will get into the actual voting that was done on this record as we like to put up a poll for whenever a album is going to be reviewed. So Jay, why don't you tell us one thing you liked about Good Weird Feeling by Odds? The You, you touched on... Um... A couple different things there. I'm going to focus on probably the one that will get talked about the least, <laughs> um, which is it's got some good grooves on it. Like, I think when you hear this band on the surface, it's you get the harmonies, you get the pop songwriting. Uh, it, it gets close to power pop at times. Um, really good vocals. Uh, some really cool guitars. But there's, I, I find myself gravitated to songs like truth untold break the bed and eat my brain which have these really cool um even any anybody else but me have these really cool like um swaggery grooves to them you know very competent uh solid drumming with a lot of feel um bass heavy really great bass tone um you know cool rolling bass lines that just keep this keep the groove moving 
And then over top of that, then they're able to bring all that other like flavor, the, you know, really cool guitar leads, pretty good riffs, um, some good guitar tones. And then vocally you've got, you know, very good lead vocals, but also the ability to do these harmonies. So to me, it really comes together on those songs that have that really, um, distinctive kind of groove at times it's almost pixies ish uh other times like anybody else but me it almost has like a vintage rolling stones kind of groove to it um which is kind of hard to pull off um but a lot of the record is mid-tempo ish so it also helps when the band can get in a really tight pocket um it brings everything together um and instead of it feeling kind of sleepy it it feels more you know, just rhythmic and together tighter. Um, so that's something I, I, I liked quite a bit and found myself, you know, the songs that I was coming back into and wanting to play over were the, were the ones that were most groove heavy. So I'm going to leave with that. Interesting. Jay going with the grooves, not a common occurrence. I like it. Um, what do you got? Well, I'm a sucker for the, the big, hooks and harmonies on this record like to me the stuff that works best is the lyrics and the hooks that get jammed into my brain and they just sit there so songs like truth untold eat my brain oh sorrow oh shame has a great hook in that song And then lyrically, there are a lot of songs that are, you know, one of the things I loved about the hip is Gord Downey's songwriting ability to tell really oddball stories in in three, four minutes. So a song like The Last Drink, which is about a guy carrying around an urn of cremate, of a, you know, someone who's been cremated. And it's just weird. And I I dig that. I like that oddballness that goes with these pop songs in terms of the music that are very catchy and you know, like you mentioned, Jay, the grooves really help to keep these songs moving and you don't get, you know, terribly bored with them. But I like that there are some oddball, strange choices for lyrical twists and turns and then the harmonies obviously you know stacked on top of that just add a killer element that so many bands can't do because they don't have two songwriters like this band does Mm -hmm. so darren tell us what works best for you on this record yeah so i'm very much aligned with you guys 
actually, uh, particularly, you know, I really find it, they, there's a clear demarcation between the, the more the groove, uh, for lack of a better word, the, the rockier songs. And the ones you mentioned, uh, JR, actually, those are the ones that uh, Craig Northey wrote and sang versus the ones that are a little bit more, to me, melodic, more crowded house ask almost uh, Rembrandt's ask. There's one song in particular that just reminds me of the theme from Friend. Um, so I really lean more towards the 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 heavier, the more Pixies-like songs. Particularly, I've always loved Break the Bed, and I find it's a bit of an outlier on the rest of the album. It just Even the production just sounds so much more raw to me it almost doesn't sound like the same band that's then singing a few songs later satisfied um so i i, I definitely lean towards the more groove oriented songs as well I think they're both very strong songwriters, and I and I agree with you, Tim, on the on the songwriting. The little bit of the the uh, very melodic uh, approach with some left to center lyrics. And I like in in Break the Bad and and in some other songs like Leave It There, where they rock out a bit. You know, they're they're mm-hmm. not afraid to like turn the guitar up and shred. Like Leave It There has some great just shredding guitar going on uh in the second half of that song and that's not something you hear a lot from a band that is so poppy it tends to they tend to be a little bit more restrained whereas this band just like hits the distortion pedal and goes on some songs which is fun it's it was not expected to hear them take that approach because truth untold is such a like well-structured but you know sort of restrained pop song and that's how their their pop side works so then when you get these album tracks that are very very much looser that it's um a nice change of pace and i agree with you jay that um like stonesy feel that's hard to pull off mm-hmm. you know a lot of people bag on charlie watts for not being like the most technically proficient drummer but you try to play the drum beat to some of those slower stone songs that are deceptively difficult because he's able to keep the tempo upbeat while the slow is song. And it gives you this yeah. weird propulsion. Nobody else can play the stones with the same feel. I've never heard anybody cover a stone song where you're like, 
that's the right feel. It's always, I mean, you can, I've heard some great Stones covers, but they don't sound like the Stones. Right. And that's all because of Charlie Watts. So, yep. yeah, I know that they get close to that kind of vibe, at least on anybody else but me, um, which I really like. And I think the guitar, I, I, I second that as well. And that, you know, something like Truth Untold, it's a, it's a fine enough pop song, you know, it kind of is in the squeeze kind of, you know, mid crowded house kind of space. But then when that guitar solo comes in mm-hmm. and when those leads come in, it just it just injects this life into it. All of a sudden, like the band comes alive, even though like the rest of the band isn't, you know, playing any louder necessarily or changing, but there's just something about just sonically, it just opens up and becomes something much uh, more dynamic, I guess. Uh, and that happens throughout the record whenever they let the guitar, you know, be a little fuzzed out and just a little noisy. Um, I, I really enjoy that aspect uh, too. You know what it strangely reminded me of is the first Travis record in that yeah. they had these like really well-constructed little pop Brit pop songs. And then the guitarist would just like go nuts for 30 seconds yeah. at some point in the song. And you'd be like, whoa, yeah. like, that dude clearly wants to shred and he's finding his little spots to do it. Yeah. Um, but it, it reminded me a lot of that in the, in the way that they're able to construct really tight pop songs with great melodies over top and then hit you with something that you're not expecting like energy wise well the, and that travis that that travis album is a great example of that too i think what it's doing at least for me in both those cases this record and the travis record is that that becomes like the human element you know when the band is like really real crafted and like um super precise and it all sounds beautiful and great there's just this chaotic human element that comes in whenever you fire up that guitar, you know, and it's noisy and it's not always pretty. I mean, to me, that is the the cool contrast and the thing that just gives it that heartbeat. Um, that's, that's uh, so crucial. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting. I, I listening to their follow-up album, um, Nest, they, they, Unfortunately, they seemed to lean more into the pop side of things and, and really uh, didn't uh, plug in the amps quite as much on that album. So I don't know if that was uh, any tension between you know the, the, the dualities of the songwriting between the, I think, uh, again, Craig Northey was much more that raw sound and, uh, oh, sorry, uh, 
Stephen Drake's more of the raw sound, and Craig North, who is more of the melodic, more crowded house-esque pop sensibility. But uh, I definitely prefer this sound. Well, and it provides great kind of tension because you can hear that there's songs where they just want to like get loud and rip and then there's also these really sort of well-crafted pop songs and then there's these in-betweens that are like radio radios of heaven is a good example Mm -hmm. it's got that like energy where it could have been like a really poppy song but it's a it's like maybe more a little more XTC or something is influenced on that song or something. I don't know. There's like some weird pop elements on some of these songs that they just like, they, they knew where their singles were. And then there's some of the songs that could have been singles, but they're like, "Eh, let's do something a little bit weirder on this song. And just not quite as, as poppy as the real poppy songs. Yeah. Readers of heaven is the closest they get to sounding like Sloan to me. And that was probably the closest comparison I can make for that song. Yeah. 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 I'm a huge Sloan fan. Uh, so this is, this was right in my wheelhouse. Um, yeah. So Jay, what didn't work for you on this record? Well, I'm not a, f- I, d- I don't love when they, the, the album gets um, pretty, pretty slow and quiet towards the latter half. Um, there's some pockets there. The last drink sounds like Toad the Wet Sprocket. Uh, Mercy to Go sounds like a Crowded House album track. Um, I like any anybody else but me. Um, and we'll talk uh, at the latter half of the record. But it feels like from basically Break the Bed Forward, um, the quiet stuff starts to lose my attention. Um, it's just a little like when they don't have that, either that, that heavy groove going on or they have the guitar riffs, um, or if the vocal is not very like, um, you know, expressive, um, and and emotive, then it just gets into this very like white bread, wonder bread kind of generic pop sound. That's like vaguely eighties, vaguely early nineties, but not really compelling or distinct. So that's the stuff that, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. Like when you listen to it, you're like, okay, this is a well-written song and the performances are good. There's just nothing about it that grabs you like some of those other tunes. Um, you know, the last drink might be, you know, a, a good example of what I'm talking about. I, I completely agree with you. Like track four, I would be your man is like mm-hmm. the good version of doing that. Like that to me almost sounded like yeah. a super drag song. Yeah. The way he's singing that. But then oh, totally. Is it gonna hurt if we try? Is this the calm before the night? Well, we may skip like stones. Or you
like Mercy to Go was, I, it didn't have that same expressiveness that, and I like Will Talk the last because it's, it's got a little bit of propulsion to it, even though it's a quieter song. And yes, yep. it's it's got you know a oomph going on, whereas yep. there's just a few tracks that even though I like the lyrics in the last drink, I do agree with you. It's kind of I don't know that to what Sprocket is necessarily a negative thing, but it it just didn't well, like have a yeah a much musically that I was that interested in. I, I just mean that it's like vaguely folky alternative yeah. rock without like. A really compelling element um yeah i agree with you what doesn't work for you on on this record darren if anything yeah again i'm actually very aligned with what you both have said i i, I do think the back half of the album there's a bit of a glut of just these mid-tempo uh we didn't call them ballads per se but just mid-tempo pop songs um I mean, Oh Sorrow, Shame, The Last Drink, Mercy the Go. And they're, to me, they're pretty much interchangeable. And they all sound, which is, I'm surprised I'm saying this because they, uh, to me, they sound very much like, uh, especially someone like Oh Sorrow, Shame could be on uh, Crowded House's Woodface album. Uh, And I love Crowded House, but they just, it's just a little bit too much of the same thing for me. So uh, for me, I would probably just, of the five or six mid tempos, I'd keep two or three of them. So, I mean, this record sounds really good and I had a hard time figuring out who the producer was because if you go to discogs, the producer is listed as Nigel, the cat who only has produced (laughs) odds records. So it's funny you mentioned this because again, I, I just learned this on the podcast. I listened to, uh, just on the weekend they actually self-produced this and the joke was uh craig northy had a cat called nigel and uh so the, i can't remember the reason why but they didn't want to list it as self-produced so they said oh nigel the cat who was the producer so like, it sounded vaguely like a uk club producer because <laughs> it says that susan rogers is credited with additional production and recorded by and she has like a a big career in terms of who she's she's worked with David Byrne and she's worked with uh, the Bare Naked Ladies and I think at one point there was she had worked with um, worked on a Prince record and would work with Wendy and Lisa so she's she's had some you know worked with Geggy Ta <laughs> if you remember Geggy Ta oh, Rusted great. Root Geggy Ta. And um, so I thought maybe she was the one behind the board, but I guess it was a cat. Their cat was doing it. So. Yeah. Um, but it's I I feel this sounds listening to it. It did not sound dated to me. Like this doesn't have a I I don't know. You can you know disagree with me, Jay, if you like. But this sounds like pretty contemporary. There's no absolutely pinpoint points of this. Sounds like the '90s. In terms of guitar tones or, you know, reverb or anything like that. Uh, yeah, no, I think um, production-wise, it's it's a really nice sounding record, um, and not dated at all. You know, I, I I think some of the material when it gets in that generic realm, I think of like what I kind of already talked about, right? That generic 
pop alt pop stuff from the 90s but other than that there's nothing about the production that's necessarily um 90 sounding so why wasn't this huge in the united states <laughs> what did... oh. mm. that's a gr- i mean I, as i get older i realize because i used to think this when i was in my in my teens and early 20s all these bands that were huge on much music i was like how come they don't make a dent in the U.S. and the biggest example, of course, being a band like The Hip that uh, I think regionally c- could do well in Buffalo and certain markets, but they were you know, headliners here. Like they could fill out, uh, sell out arenas here. I, I just think it's a matter of um, when you're Canadian. Um, you know, first of uh, all, it's a the the market's ten times bigger. The the amount of work needed to crack the market's bigger. So unless you are able to get your song on MTV, uh, I think you're, it's a tough go. And uh, going back to the whole Canadian content rule, I've done some reading where it actually it backfired, at least it, you see a lot of bands that make a decent living in Canada, uh, but we're a small market overall, like the size of California. Um, but there actually was resistance from U.S. record companies saying, well, yeah, yeah, they're big in Canada, but they have those Canadian content rules, so basically they're mandated to be played on the radio or on much music, so how good are they really? So uh, I, I think, you know, taking that all out of con- at, into account, I think just on their own merits, clearly this is a, a very talented band, strong songwriting, they had the hooks and the, and the, and the, uh, and the songs. I just think sometimes it's just a matter of timing and uh, a bit of luck. Yeah, I think I I feel like it can make the same case for nearly every Canadian band that we talk about on the podcast and that it seems to check all the boxes, but there was something I don't know, um like Darren's saying either business-wise or some other factor in play for why more of these bands didn't break through in the US cuz there's it's all there. Um and I think this is a great example. There's there's no reason yeah. why several of these songs couldn't have been uh, you know, mainstream uh, rock radio uh, plays in the U.S. at this time. Yeah, I think the only difference really between a band like this and, say, the Bare Naked Ladies is Bare Naked Ladies had, you know, they were similar to the odds in the early to mid-90s in Canada in terms of level of success, and then they had One Week, which was, you yeah. know, you could call that a novelty song, but it was huge. And, you know, after that, they were they were, they were were set for life, essentially. Uh, and unless you have a song like that, then you are relegated to making, you know, a decent working career as a touring musician. I'm sure they all have, you know, modest-sized houses, and they're doing what they love, but they're not, certainly not wealthy by any means. Well, that's makes so. I wonder if "Eat My Brain" was their chance at like a one week style. If it had the right video, you know, mm-hmm. if if it could have been their "Sex and Candy" or it could have been their, you know, "New Radicals" type song, or is it is it just not quite good enough to make it to that level in the U.S.? I don't know. But that's that's yeah, the song that's I, always stuck in my head as far as this record goes. Yeah, I think it could have easily. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm biased as a Canadian, but you know, to me, you know, I, I think less. I maybe because just 
who we are here in Canada, it's less of whether a Canadian or American. It's just ultimately about the songs. And, you know, I, I do think these songs can stand on their own merits, irrespective of what country they come from. Well, as an honorary Canadian, because I grew up in Buffalo, yeah. uh, I've always had a, I've always had a soft spot for, uh, you know, both, uh, Canadian music and hockey night in Canada on the CBC. So <laughs> it was how I spent my Saturday nights, uh, as a teen. So I'm always looking for an opportunity to get some Canadian love on this show. But what we have to do here right now is decide if we're actually going to, uh, give this the full love or partial love and that means that sounded really <laughs> what <laughs> were the That's album better what EP, are we about to do right now <laughs> were, were the album better ep decent single full Tim, love. we're social we're supposed to be distancing i know dude we, we can't full love right now we've been social distancing since 2011 we're the pros <laughs> people should come to us about how to properly social distance uh that's what we got to do you know, render judgment. That's what the people want. And when I, after we give our judgment, I'll share the one from our, our Patreon page. Cool. What do you say, Jay? Were the album better EP? Decent single. I say a better EP. It's very close. Uh, my EP would have Truth Untold, Radios of Heaven, I'll, I Would Be Your Man, Break the Bed, Eat My Brain. Any Anybody else but me, to me, is the best slow song of the second half of the record. Um, and I think we'll talk is a nice album ender. So I'm at what, like seven tracks. It's pretty close. So, so uh, I think that would make a really, really strong EP. I'm at a worthy record with nine songs. I would take the ones that you said, and I would add, leave it there and smokescreen. So that's my worthy album. So a little yeah. bit of a disagreement there. Darren, where are you at? I'm also at a worthy album, but I would cut a few tracks off. So um, probably in between you two guys, uh, I probably there's a good solid nine or ten songs here for me. I'd, I'd probably take out Mercy to Go, The Last Drink. And I wasn't as big a fan of Radios of, of Heaven either, so that gets me down to ten tracks. But those ten songs, um, it's pretty solid for me. So on our Patreon page, it was 75% Worthy Album, 25% Decent Single. My, oh my, someone was not a uh, a fan of this record beyond one or two songs. So, but Worthy Album won out. All right. Darren, thank you for bringing this record to us. I'm glad we got to revisit this. This was a band I completely forgot about until I heard them and went, I totally remember them. And uh, I like when that happens. So thank you. Oh, good. You're very welcome. It's right in Dig Me Out's wheelhouse. Have we Have we done a moist record? We did a moist record, didn't we? Yeah, yeah we, we did the first did, one. Uh, okay. Yeah. I'm trying to so think So what's of, the rule there? If, you, if an album has been covered, then are, are they ineligible for, for trials to be reviewed? Well, the album is, but not the band. Take it case by case. Okay. Yeah, oh, we've, done, uh, we've done two we've albums twice. twice. We've done both Paw records. Yeah. We've done... Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's uh, been one or two others. There's yeah. been a few others, right. yeah. 
Uh, I know there have been. Wait, you did GNR, you used your Illusion 1 and 2. Which is two <laughs> records, there technically. There's two, yeah. Those are two records that are released on the same day. I'm trying to remember who else have we done two records. It's probably, and you know what's funny is it's been bands that like you wouldn't expect us to do two records, but we ended up doing two records. I don't remember, I don't remember who the other ones were, but I know there were more. The two timer yeah. club. Okay. So if All you right. wanted to, Good you know, know, suggest, uh, was there another moist record in the nineties? Oh yeah, uh, yeah, there was. The Moist had a good album out in the late nineties. Uh, what was it called? Was Mercedes that Mercedes Five and Die? Yeah, okay. And then did Creature like... come out in two thousands? No, Creature's the second. Creature was ninety six. Here, I Mother Earth had a great album after Dig, which actually was their 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 big breakthrough album here in Canada called Scenery and Fish. And then six months later, Edwin quit the band, which was. Uh, it was kind of it was our version of uh, you know, uh, David Lee Roth quitting Van Halen on a much smaller scale. <laughs> sure, much smaller. I Mother Earth, smaller. I Mother Earth is uh, Canada's Van Halen. Uh, well, at least from the lead singer point of view. Wow, I had no idea. I would think it would be if Getty Lee left Rush. That would be their version of Can- of Van Halen. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, bad or analogy, whoever sings like, for triumph. I don't know who sings for triumph, but uh, Rick Emmett. Okay, see, <laughs> we learned this in school here in Canada. I, <laughs> it's a part of the Can Rock uh, <laughs> class uh, that you have to take. It's part of the CanCon rules you have to take uh, yeah, when you go to Can Camp in. in the summers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, that's amazing. Uh, Want to remind everyone. Patreon is where you go, where you can join us to support the podcast, like the uh, folks we mentioned at the top of the show who have recently joined us. We have all sorts of different tiers based on what your interests are in receiving, whether it's a sticker. We also do these t-shirts that Jay designed, which are pretty cool. Uh, We also do polls for not only albums that are suggested via our website, but we also do polls for roundtables and for 80s episodes uh, at our steering level committee. And then, of course, you can sign up for our new box newsletter where we send out weekly one-minute reviews of new records released relevant to the 80s and 90s. And then we also post the upcoming release calendar along with whatever's been going on in Dig Me Outland for the past week. Good way to stay up to date on all of the constantly shifting release dates Thanks to the current (laughs) coronavirus issues and inability to press vinyl, which I just saw another band today said, sorry, we're going to miss our release date. Uh, So that sucked. That was Shiner, by the way, who I've been really looking forward to because that second single was awesome that they released. And then they announced they don't, they're not going to have the vinyl for next month. So, but they're going to put the, the digital out on time? Yeah, or? they're gonna, they're still yeah. gonna release the digital, but gotcha. They don't know when the vinyl is gonna come out because, the, yeah, nobody's pressing vinyl right now or selling vinyl. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, crazy. Uh, gotcha. And then of course, Apple Podcasts. If you like the show, please leave us some positive feedback there. Darren, once again, thank you for coming on. We look forward to revisiting uh, or visiting again with you 
uh, next year. Hopefully, we have left our house by then. Yeah, but thanks again, guys. Uh, it's always a pleasure to speak with both of you, and uh, hopefully next year, uh, yeah, I'll be sitting out in my backyard at least. Uh, if uh, things will clear up in a in a couple weeks or a couple months at best. Yes, hopefully the the it will not be based on a military release uh, that you're allowed one yard one hour in the yard. <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> as as the U.S. has crumbled from uh, economic yeah. collapse, <laughs> Darren, we don't know how things are going to go down here. If they get a little squirrely, uh, could you take us in? <laughs> sure, I got room in the basement. Cool. I'm in Texas. I, I, I things could go either direction at any time. So. Jay, you're better off going into Mexico because I think they're doing better yeah. than us at this point. <laughs> so you, you might want to get you might want to get that Babel app and start working on your. Uh, you're Mexican. <laughs> you mean Spanish? Uh, You're Spanish, yes. How do you say dig me out in Spanish? I, I don't know, but now I'm going to Google it. <laughs> English to Spanish. And the text is dig me out. Uh, it's one word, and there's no way I can say it. Decentrarme. Wait, let me uh, see. Really? It, there's an option. Decentrarme. That's how you say it. I had I used the audio uh, option for pr- pronunciation. So I wonder if podcast is also translatable. No, it doesn't translate. <laughs> Decentrarme podcast. Uh, you're 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 stuck in Texas then. <laughs> Shit. All right. Bye, Jake. Good knowing you. <sighs> it's a big state. It oh, is. I yep. can hide. Plenty of ground to cover on that in that state. All right. So for Jay, I'm Tim. We're out, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash dig me out and become a monthly subscriber at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, as well as our merchandise store at Zazzle.com.